Well, we'd like to welcome uh, everyone over in Quakertown who are joining us uh, now. Uh, I hope you guys are having a great day. I miss you guys so much. Uh, I hope that you're enjoying Jason while he's up there, and I hope Jason is behaving himself because sometimes he doesn't. Uh, I will be returning on November 26th, so actually I will be back here in Southerton next week, but Charles will be up there in Quakertown next week. So for all of you new to Calvary up in Quakertown, if you've never met Charles, next week will be a great opportunity to meet him. So we're in the middle of a series that we're calling Fruitology. And in this series, what we're doing is we're taking a look at a list that a man named Paul wrote as he wrote a letter to a church in a town called Galatia. And so in the book of Galatians, Paul writes this list of, of character traits, of fruit of the Holy Spirit working in us, transforming us into the image of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to take a look at this list. If you don't have a Bible, there's different ways you can follow along. You can read the verses up on the screens here. You can take out your phone or your tablet and download the Bible app or the Bible Gateway apps. Both are great apps for reading the Bible. Or if you're here in Souderton, you can take the Bible out of the seat rack in front of you. If you're in Quakertown, we have a cart with Bibles in back of the last row of chairs. You can grab a Bible there. And whether you're in Quakertown or in Souderton, if you don't own a Bible, we want you to keep it. It's our gift to you. It's free. We believe that reading the Bible has the potential to impact your life. So if you don't have one, take it home. And if you don't know how to read a Bible, if you've never done that, give us a call. We'd be more than happy to walk you through that. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5. And we're we'll looking at verses 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So we've been doing something uh, together during this series. We've been trying to memorize these two verses, right? And so every Sunday we give you a quiz. But I'm going to prep it ahead of time just in case, because Charles never says this. Put your Bibles away. No cheating. Put your phones away. Put your tablets away. We're going to have a quiz here, okay? Quakertown, don't embarrass me. Not in front of Jason. Do a good job here, okay? All right, you guys ready? Here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit is... Good job. Awesome. Way better than first service. So, that's not true. That's not true. So today we're going to take a look at this. And today we're going to be looking at patience. Patience. So I'm going to be honest. When uh, I was talking to my family this week, and I told them what we were going to be talking about today, I said, I'm going to be speaking on patience. They all laughed at me. My children, my wife, they all laughed. They had a great old time, a grand old time doing this, laughing at me. And then they proceeded throughout the week to test my patience. <laughs> patience, I'm not so great at. I, I, I'm going to be honest. I'm not great at patience. It's one that I really need to work on. And so if you get nothing out of this message, understand that I'm talking to myself. But if you are paying attention, you should be having a question in your mind right now. We just read two verses... We recited them from memory, and never once did we say the word patience. Where is patience in those two verses? 
Well, it's in that word that kind of trips you up a little bit when you're, when you're saying the verses and you kind of stumble. It's in forbearance. It's in the word forbearance. And so depending on your life in regards to church or your experiences in church, or you may be looking at these verses and you've never heard them before. This is all new. For some of you, you might be thinking to yourself, it's like, finally, the right word. Patience. What's with forbearance? And then some of you are actually thinking, no, no, it's actually long-suffering. Because depending on what version of the Bible you read these verses before, you might have heard patience, you might have heard forbearance, you might have heard long-suffering. Well, what is it? What, what is it? All these different words are being used. What is it? Well, I really feel like that we need to understand patience, forbearance, and long-suffering in order to understand the word that Paul was using. Paul wrote this letter in Greek, and during that time there were two words in the Greek language for patience. One of the words was in regards to circumstances or events. The other word was in regards to people. Paul didn't use that first word. This is not about circumstances and events. He used the second word. This is about people. This is about people. Here's the difference. The difference is discovered in my young son, Justice. Justice, when we're on a car ride, will often say this. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? How long is 20 minutes? Can you tell me when it's 15 minutes? How about 10? How about 5? How about 3, 2, 1? He's not patient in the car. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about when that same son loses his patience with his sister because she's not doing what he wants her to do when he wants her to do it, and so he hits her. That's the kind of lack of patience that we're talking about. This isn't just simply a waiting game. This isn't about being able to wait. It's something deeper than that. And we need to understand that this is something deeper in order to understand the consequences and the dangers of impatience when it relates to the word that Paul is using. You see, far too often we take a look at the action of impatience. We take a look at what happens when we are impatient. And so when someone is impatient, what may happen? They may lose their temper and there'll be an outburst of anger. Or they may say a sarcastic remark or make a cutting joke towards someone. And so when we see that, we say, that's the problem. That person has an anger problem. Or that person has a problem with being a bully and, and saying mean things to people. Or that person needs to change their humor. We look at the action and we say, that's the problem. But in reality, the problem is much deeper, and it's with impatience. It's something that is, is boiling inside. It's something that is stewing inside, that is just waiting for an opportunity to come out. When you look at impatience, sometimes you get a picture of an exploding volcano, right? If you ever saw uh, Inside Out, the movie Inside Out, uh, Anger is one of the characters, and he has like an exploding head with fire and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's the, what we think of when we see of someone who loses their patience. It's like an uh, explosion of a volcano. And that's what we focus on. But here's the reality. The exploding volcano doesn't cause the damage. The exploding volcano doesn't cause the damage. The lava causes the damage. 
It's what's inside that causes the damage. It's what we are not addressing that, given the right opportunity, is spewed out onto someone else and causes damage. We need to pay attention because patience deals with inside. It deals with the heart. Impatience, if unchecked, in the right opportunity, will cause a reaction. And that reaction will harm someone. Because impatience is a reaction. Patience is a response. If you've ever studied psychology or counseling, you would know the difference between a reaction and a response. Impatience is a reaction. Patience is a response. A reaction is instantaneous. It is without thought. It ignores consequences and, in fact, transfers the power of the situation to the subject of the reaction. A response pauses. Thought is required for a response. The costs are weighed. A transfer of power does not occur with a response. We are called to be responders, not reactors. We are to be responders, not reactors. But we can't do that on our own. You can try. You can improve your patience. You can read a lot of self-help books. You can do different steps and try to get patient and try to be better at this. But you can only get so far. This is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is a fruit of God working inside of us. God is the one who plants the seed of patience. God is the one who cultivates it and causes it to grow. And even more amazing, God is the first one to express it. We are simply following in his footsteps. You see, we need to understand that patience was first expressed to us in order to be able to express patience to others. But how was it expressed? How, how is it expressed? How, how were we shown patience by God? Take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Romans chapter 3, verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. 2 Peter 3, verse 15. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. Patience is a response that God has towards us and towards our sin. God showed us patience when we rebelled and rejected him. Patience... If we look at it in that matter, if we look at it as the attitude God has towards us, it's actually a matter of life or death. God could have gotten rid of us a long time ago. But in his patience, he chose not to. And he showed us grace. In order to understand this patience that God shows us, in order to understand the expression of patience towards us, we need to go back to that word forbearance. I told you we had to kind of layer it today. We have to go back to that word forbearance that we said when we recited those two verses. Merriam-Webster defines forbearance as this. 
are refraining for the enforcement of something such as a debt, right, or obligation that is due. It's a refraining from the enforcement of something such as a debt, right, or obligation that is due. I would like to kind of add to that definition a little bit when it comes to us and patients. I would say that it is a refraining from the enforcement of a debt, obligation, or right that is due, or that is perceived to be due. Because there are times in our life that really what we think is our right is not. So I think it's my right, just so you're clear, I think it's my right to drive without someone in front of me that's driving so slow that it's going to make me miss the light before it turns red. That's my right. So if you're that person who's driving, please move. I think it's my right to be able to take a nap this afternoon, even though I have five children. It's my right. That is very foolish of me. It is my right to have a schedule that will be uninterrupted during the work week by my coworkers. That is my right. None of those are rights. Those are all privileges. And yet I treat them as my right, and so when something comes to disrupt those things... I react with impatience. And the reality is that God does have the right. That when we rejected God, he has the right to enforce payment of a debt that we cannot pay. The God, the creator of everything, the king over the whole universe, the one whom we rebelled against, has the right to enforce that debt. And yet, he shows patience. He shows forbearance. God didn't react to our sins. He responded. And his response was Jesus. And so what do I do when my reaction to others is impatience? I cheapen that gift that God gave me. In fact, I mock it. And saying that my perceived rights and obligations are more important than his. And it's important to understand that. It's important to understand the gravity of our debt towards God and the amazing magnitude of his response towards us. Because in reality, there are times... That it is not a perceived right. It is not something like coming to a traffic light when it turns red. It's actually very real pain, very real hurt, very real damage done to us in our lives. If we understand the patience of God, that will help us to show patience towards others. If I understand what I've been forgiven of, it will help me forgive those who have hurt me. But that is hard. That is very hard to do. And that's why we use the word long-suffering. Patience is suffering without retaliation. Patience is suffering over a long time. It is what God does for us. God didn't have to. It is not our right 
to be forgiven, God extends grace freely because of his patience and forbearance and long-suffering. And so patience is an opportunity to be transformed into the image of Jesus. But oftentimes that occurs in difficult situations. Oftentimes our patience is tested in difficult times. But during those trials, during those difficult times, we are given an opportunity to grow. We are given an opportunity to grow. Look at James chapter 1. Verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, that perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, when we face trials, when we face testing of our patience, there are only two options. We can either grow impatient where we can grow in patience. We can grow impatient, or we can grow in patience. So how do we express patience? We treat others the way that Jesus treated us. We treat others the way that Jesus treated us. Why is that important? Why is that important? I mean, we know we're supposed to do it, but why is it important? Let's go back to 1 Timothy. The verse we just read. 1 verse 16. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy. For that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Alistair Begg is a preacher, and he made an interesting comment. He said that the best evangelism takes place in those who embody the message we proclaim. The best evangelism takes place in those who embody the message we proclaim. What does he mean by that? What does Paul mean when he's writing to Timothy? The picture that others see of Jesus is you. How you react to others, how you respond to others... Your life is the picture of Jesus to those around you. This is vitally important. The picture we show of Jesus will impact those who need to believe and those who need eternal life. This is a matter of life and death. So Tuesday... We were kind of ahead of the game in the morning. My wife and I had made lunches early. Uh, We had gotten the kids up. She had finished up. She went to work. I was going to take the kids to school. We're ahead of schedule. Get the kids in the car. And what I should have done was just driven right to the school and gotten them there a few minutes early. But I thought to myself, I've got a little bit of time. Let's go to Giant. I know, I know. I'm like, here's what we do. I've got this much time. We can go to Giant. I can pick up some stuff I need to pick up. 
I can get them back out to the car and get them to school on time. I, I've got it all planned out. We drive to Giant. We pull into the parking spot. I give the kids a pep speech, a pep talk. I'm like, here we go. We're going to go in there. We're not going to look anywhere. <laughs> we're just going to go get the stuff that I need. And then we're going to come out, and you're going to get to school on time. Are you with me? They didn't care. But then they walked out with me anyway. I got a shopping cart. One of those shopping carts that is smooth. You know, not the kind that kind of veers to the right all the time. It's smooth. We're going in and out of the aisles. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. I get all the things I need, and we get over, and I go where? To self-checkout. Fastest option, right? I go to the self-checkout. Boop, boop, boop. It's great. Everything is going great. It's a wonderful thing. I'm rather proud of myself at that moment. Get to the last item. Boop. I go and I put it in the bag, and simultaneously I'm picking the bag up as I go to hit pay now. And then I hear a dreaded sound. Please place the item in the bag. I hate that sound. The item is in the bag. Please place the item in the bag. So I put it back down. I figure that will work. No, no, it keeps telling me to place the item in the bag. I'm really tired of this. So I look over to where the cashier should be, you know, the one who's in the center of all of these self-checkout people. She's the one who commands the ship. And I look over, there's nobody there. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I had it timed out. Well, there's a button. There's a button. It says, call attendant. All right, call attendant. Call attendant. Call attendant, call attendant, call attendant, call. Nothing. Nobody. Looking around, I'm upset. My kids are now running around in circles, chasing dust bunnies. I don't know what they're doing. I'm telling them to stop. I look over. There's no cashiers anywhere to be found, except for one cashier who's in her own lane right next to the self-checkout. Well, she has a customer. She finishes up. And I say, excuse me. She turns around. I'm like, no, 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 no. Gesturing at the, the checkout machine like it's her fault and like, fix this. So she looks around, she's looking for the other cashier, there's no one to be found. Clearly this is not her responsibility. She's not in charge of the self-checkout line. So she looks at me, she goes and she locks her register. She walks over to me, smiles, types a little bit into the keyboard and says, you're all set. And I said, thank you. And so I go to pay and she looks over at my children, she goes, would you like a treat? She walks them over to the kids section, gives them some juice boxes, gives them some fruit snacks. And then smiles at them and says, you have a wonderful day. And as I'm walking over, she goes, and you too. <laughs> the kids are loving this. They're walking out of Giant. They're thinking this is the best thing. They got fruit snacks. They got a juice box. They're, they're skipping and singing on the whole way out. They're loving it. It's wonderful. They're comparing their fruit snacks. They had a wonderful time. And all I'm thinking in my head is, I hope she doesn't go to Calvary. Why? Because I didn't want her to know who I was. <laughs> because in the midst of me being so frustrated and swearing I'll never go to Giant again, her response of patience redeemed the name of Giant for me. 
In the midst of all that, my reaction of impatience tore down the name of Jesus. Her response of patience did so much for me. My reaction of impatience painted the wrong picture of Jesus. Don't be like me. Be a cashier at Giant. (laughs) This is vitally important. If I'm a follower of Jesus, I better look like him. You see, patience is in the very nature and characteristic of God. It's a family trait. I'm to look like my father. And when I don't, I create the wrong picture of Jesus. Why is patience important? Because my life is how other people will see Jesus. And so I better look like Jesus so that others may live. How do we do this? How do we do this? How do we live out that verse in 1 Timothy of being an example and a display of God's patience for us? How do we do this? I'm going to have you go through five questions that will hopefully help you with this. The first question is this. Who am I relying on? Who am I relying on? We have to start there. Here's why. Patience is a fruit of the Holy Spirit working in us. It is not something that I'm meant to manufacture of my own accord. Yes, I play a part, but if I'm just relying on my own efforts, if I'm just relying on my own skills, I will fail. We have to start with who we are relying on. We have to start with bringing this to God first and asking him to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. It starts there. It doesn't start with me trying to fix it on my own. And while I'm there... I should probably take a look at my relationship with God. You see, this next question I feel is very important when it comes to patience. Am I enjoying God? Am I enjoying God? What is my time with God like? Is it just out of obligation? Is it motivated by fear? Is it non-existent? Or do I enjoy God? God delights in us, and he desires that we delight in him. When I'm with him, am I filled with this delight and enjoyment when I spend time with God? My wife and I need dates. We do. It is what sustains our marriage. That times when we can just have time alone, enjoying each other, laughing, being friends. Just having fun. Does that describe your time with God? Because that is what will fuel your patience. So figure it out. I don't know what it is. It could be reading the Bible and and praying. That could be time that you enjoy with God. It could be taking a walk. It could be singing songs. It could be whatever it is. Figure it out and figure it out how to enjoy God. It is what will fuel your patience. Question number three Am I being honest? Am I being honest? 
Oftentimes, we are impatient because we are not being honest with those around us. We are not being honest with our expectations. We are not being honest with what bothers us. We are not being honest with what hurts us. We are not being honest, so we bottle it up, and then we explode when the right circumstance happens because we are not being honest with those around us. And even more so, we're not being honest with ourselves. Am I being honest with myself? You see, my impatience reveals a lot about me. My impatience will reveal what I fear. My impatience will reveal my insecurities. It will reveal what I am proudful of. It will reveal a lot about me. Am I being honest and actually looking inside and seeing what it is that is going on, that is bubbling and just waiting to just come out? Am I being honest? Question number four, what are my trigger points? What are my trigger points? A lot of times we say, this person really knows how to push my buttons. Do you really know what your buttons are? Like, what are your trigger points? Mine, one of them, of many, is tailgating. If you tailgate me, I'm going to be upset. We're not NASCAR. You're not drafting. You're tailgating me. So I get upset. It's a trigger point. I know that. But now that I know my trigger point, let's reclaim it. The trigger point can be something that triggers me to react in impatience or it can trigger me to remind me of the gospel. If I identify my trigger points, I can now use them as a way to remind me of the gospel. To remind me of the grace and patience that God gave to me, of the love that God showed to me through his son Jesus. Identify your trigger points and then use them as trigger points to remind you of the gospel. And finally, number five, where can I create margin? Where can I create margin? If your schedule is so full that if anything that comes into it will disrupt everything, I'm going to guarantee that you're going to struggle with patience. I'm going to guarantee it because you can always expect the unexpected. It's going to be a guarantee that something will come in that you didn't plan. And if there's no margin in your life, your patience will be tested. When you are creating a budget for an organization, you create a budget with what's called a contingency. A contingency is just a line that's there just in case? Is there just in case? Is there to address whatever unexpected things happen? Where is the contingency line in your life and in your schedule? Do you have any margin? Take a look at your life and look at where you can create margin this week. Who am I relying on? Am I enjoying God? Am I being honest? What are my trigger points where can I create margin? You see, you can either grow impatient or you can grow in patience. And as you grow in patience, you become a clearer picture of Jesus. And you are an example of the patience that God's shown to us. And we are an example to those around us who need to believe so that they may have eternal life. Which way are you going to grow this week? Let's bring life this week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much.
for the patience that you've shown to us. Lord, we didn't deserve it. We did nothing to earn that patience. You simply loved us enough to show it. And we thank you. Help us to show the same patience to others. We ask for your Holy Spirit to work inside of us, to transform us into the image of Jesus. And Lord, as we are transformed and become a clearer picture of Jesus, we ask you that people will believe and that lives will be changed. That our very lives will be the gospel to those around us. Lord, we thank you again. We praise you and we worship you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue in our service. And we're going to remember the ultimate act of patience. The ultimate act of love that God showed to us through Jesus. See, we're going to take communion now. And as we take that communion, our desire is that you look towards Jesus and you recognize with grateful hearts the grace that has been shown to you. So as the servers come forward now, I'm going to explain how it's going to go. The servers are going to come as they're doing now and they're going to hand out bread. And what I want you to do is you take the bread and I want you to spend some time with God. Spend some time thinking about what he did for you by sending his son. And when you're ready, you can eat that bread. We're not going to eat it together. You can eat it on your own. After the servers come and serve you the bread, they're going to go back and then they're going to bring the cup. After you've eaten the bread, I ask that you don't drink the cup just yet. We'll drink that together. In 1 Corinthians... It says, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
know, I'm going to be honest with you for a moment. This has been a hard week. Our Quakertown campus has gone through some things in our community with some families in our community experiencing some tragedies. You know what? It's been a hard season for the church in general. We look at the hurt that happened in Texas and we look at around us just in our own lives of different people who are hurting. And it's honestly at those times that it's hard to find hope. It's easy to get discouraged. And when I'm talking to different people on the phone this week about stuff that they're going through, I can only cling to one thing. And that is that his body was broken and his blood was shed. To bring us a peace and a hope that we could never, ever fathom beforehand. I don't know if your life reflects some of those trials and difficulties of this past week. But you have hope in Jesus. You have peace in Jesus. His blood was shed for you. And if you're in this room and you don't know that hope, you need to know that his death and his resurrection was for you. What we celebrate today, what we remember in the blood being shed by Jesus, his body being broken was for you. It was the ultimate act of love. And his desire is for you to accept that gift. So with hearts secure in the hope we have because of the great patience of our God and the great grace of our God, I ask you that we drink together. What we just did in drinking the cup and eating the bread was a proclamation of what we believe. It was a proclamation of what we believe about Jesus, his death and his resurrection, and his eventual return where he will restore everything. And while that was a proclamation, we are going to proclaim one more time what we believe as we sing this next song.
so much for joining us today. We'll see you next week.